Well, praise God for his redeeming grace, amen, and that you've heard of that grace and that you know that grace. There are many places in the world that have not heard of that grace, and uh, we should be thankful every day that uh, we have heard it, and we should be thankful every day for the opportunity to proclaim it. But what a blessing it is to be with you here today, and uh, my name is Derek Thomas. My wife, Julie, is right over here. In two weeks, we'll be celebrating 36 years of marriage. And I know what you're thinking. Brother Derek, you're, you're so young. How could you all be married for 36 years? Isn't that what you were thinking? Well, we got married in the third grade, all right? So that's how those numbers worked out. But uh, we, we have a, had a wonderful marriage and just a wonderful time serving the Lord. When Julie married me, she did not marry a pastor or a missionary. Uh, she married a businessman. And uh, God made many great... Uh, works in my life. I like to think of my life in, a, in two ways, that God redeemed me not only from my sin and the penalty of my sin, but he redeemed me from a wasted life, a life lived for self, a life lived to fill my own ambitions. And I praise him that he did that because I cannot think of anything better that God has allowed us to do over the past 25 years than to serve him for his glory and for his praise. Our life has been full and satisfied, and I think that's the only way to have a full and satisfied life is to live for the risen King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't mean you have to go to a foreign mission field or be a pastor to serve him and be surrendered to him, but I believe we all should be completely surrendered to whatever his will is in our lives. And I I know this as my time as a pastor, as my time as a missionary, that a majority of God's people are not fully surrendered to his will. So I would encourage you in that. If you have never surrendered your life to him, that you do so because there is nothing greater for your life than to live for him, to take up your cross and follow him. Well, here you see, I want to share with you about some things very uniquely that God is doing in Ukraine, what he's doing uh, in our lives and ministries, give you a little bit about what was happening right before uh, the war, uh, before the invasion of Russia. But here you see our prayer card. And if you would like a prayer card, Julie has some right down here with her. Please feel free to come and get one. We would uh, covet your prayers. Uh, Let's see if we can get to the next one right here, guys. There we go. Here you see a young lady, a little girl, holding a heart with the colors of the Ukrainian flag. Do we know what those colors stand for? The blue stands for the heaven above. The gold stands for the field of harvest. Ukraine during Soviet times was considered the breadbasket of the Soviet Union Now I've heard many refer to it as the breadbasket of Europe. So as you drive across Ukraine, you'll see many uh, just fields filled with corn or with sunflowers. It's one of the leading producers of sunflower products in the world or of different wheats of harvest. Of course, during the war now, things have gotten very complicated there. Number one, with exporting the harvest. You've probably seen that in the Black Sea. The difficulties are having getting the grain out but also even in the field harvesting it. I've seen videos of harvesters out in the field harvesting the the wheat while the field behind them has been set on fire by the Russian army. I've seen where tractors have hit mines where the Russian army has mined the fields and as they try to take the harvest, the tractor will hit or the harvester hit the mine and blow up. I've even heard of snipers, Russian snipers, shooting uh, Ukrainian farmers as they try to harvest. So very great difficulty there at this time. Go ahead and go to the next one, guys. My, my flipper's not working. Here you see a Ukrainian uh, woman out in, a grandmother out in the field 
with her cabbage. And uh, you see the smile on her face. And in general, Ukrainians are very happy people. They're not, they don't seem to be aggressive. If you look in their history, you don't see where they go, went and tried to take over Moldova, anything like that. They're very gracious, happy people. And they invite you, welcome you many times into their homes, in their churches. You'll hear some of the most wonderful singing of any churches I've been in in the world. They love to sing. And it's amazing uh, that God has allowed us to serve there and be there for this time. Next, next slide there, guys. Uh, Here you see the city of Kiev, the capital city. Anybody know how old the city is? It's a little older than Watertown, all right, just a little. It's about 2,000 years old. So it's a very ancient city. It was uh, an old Viking trade route on the Dnieper River that came down. In fact, there is a saying, if you want to upset a Russian, you can say that uh, Kiev is the mother of Moscow, and that's true. It's a much older city, ancient city, than Moscow and a beautiful city. Go ahead and go to the next one. The Lord allowed us to come here also to begin a church called Living Hope Baptist Church of Kiev. And uh, we had some struggles going through the COVID time, and we had a church plant, and then we had to restart the church plant, and then do a restart of the restart of the church plant. But finally, we were able to get a few months together of meeting. This was from last Christmas before the invasion. We had two services on Sunday. We had a Ukrainian service and an English service. Our Ukrainian service, it was wonderful to see the gospel going out to Ukrainian people. But in our, in our English service, it was even more fascinating as they had many international students that were there in Kiev. And we had a number. Uh, we had students <clears throat> and, and people from Pakistan, from China, from India, uh, from Africa, specifically Nigeria and other places. And how, uh, how amazing it was to see the gospel going out to them and to see the Lord's work during that time. And we praise God uh, for that and even for what God is doing right now. When the invasion took place, many, of course, all of our international students left. Uh, the Americans, we had some Americans that worked there uh, that left as well. Uh, we uh, had even many of our Ukrainian people that left. But go ahead and go to the next slide here. Uh, well, here, let me share with you first about Tatiana, all right? Tanya was, uh, didn't come to church until she received her third invitation. So the third time she received an invitation, she came. A few weeks later, she prayed to receive Christ. A few weeks after that, she shared with my wife. She said, you know, before my salvation, I didn't care to sing, but uh, now I just can't sing enough. I just love to sing. And, uh, you know, isn't it interesting how God puts a song in our heart when we know him? And God had made this change in her. Now, I was just there a few weeks ago in the church. You can hear her voice very distinctively, okay, when she sings. She's not always on key, on tune. But you know what? God hears the song from your heart right? And I praise God for Tanya and his work in her life. Go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, Here you see a young man by the name of Dima, and uh, Dima, his wife, uh, uh, Erica, their little girl, Abigail, and they have now moved to Kiev to take over uh, on my spot there. He's leading the ministry. Go ahead and go to the next one, guys. I wanted to see, this was just from a couple of weeks ago. We have seen God, even though many had left the country, there's still a lot of people in Kiev. And, uh, and Dima has come there. The meetings have continued. The meetings have grown. In this meeting, probably right around 100 that were there on this Sunday. Many of these are lost people. And they're wanting to hear what your hope is in. They're wanting to hear, well, what do you believe? And why do you believe? And why do you have such hope at this time as war is going on? And we'll share more about that as we 
go through the presentation, but pray for Dima and uh, pray for Erica. Uh, in fact, there's a young lady who's a, a graduate here in Maranatha, Rebecca Fruin, who works here in this ministry and uh, is, is there playing the piano and provides music, helps with the music program on Sunday. She's doing some discipleship there. Pray for Rebecca. Just pray for God's grace for the church. As again, there have been decisions for Christ. Things are happening in a wonderful way there at Living Hope Baptist Church of Kiev. Next, next uh, video or next shot. Here we see the original purpose that we went to Ukraine was for the Slavic Baptist Institute. And I met a man <clears throat> as I was pastoring in Kansas City by the name of Neil Cadwell. And Dr. Cadwell came because we had had a history of missions in the country of Lithuania for about 10 years. He said, Brother Derek, my health is failing. I need someone to take my spot there. Would you consider it? And long story short, I became director of Slavic Baptist Institute in 2013, but then stepped down from the pastorate, and Julie and I moved to Ukraine in 2017. And we have uh, young men and ladies serving in various ways from, no ladies, of course, are pastors, but yeah, men that have become pastors serving in churches, but ladies working in children's ministries and other ministries. And how we praise God for the Institute and the many graduates that the Institute has produced over the 25 years. And I've thought about this many times. If Russia does take over Ukraine and the door to Ukraine closes, and I won't be able to get back in if that happens, uh, it will be very difficult as an American to go back to Ukraine if that takes place. So guess where the bulk, all the the weight of the ministry is going to lie with the nationals. And that is really the purpose of missions, I believe. It's to plant New Testament churches, but to get nationals involved, to train the nationals to do the work of the ministry. And that's why it's so important. And I think, uh, praise the Lord for Brother Cadwell's vision for that and heart for that and calling of God to do that and for the sweet students that we have. Go ahead and go to the next one. But one of the things that God was doing through our institute right before uh, the war was we were seeing a missions movement. Now here's the 1040 window. You see it goes over northern Africa into Southeast Asia, the Middle East, but also includes Central Asia. And Ukraine is right there north of the Black Sea, just above Turkey, north of the Black Sea. So geographically, look how it sits right on the precipice of the 1040 window. One of the areas that God allowed us to go and do ministry with some of our male students, next, next picture, was in the country of Tajikistan. Here you see Central Asia, Kazakhstan at the top, Tajikistan, the little blue one there just south of Kyrgyzstan in the yellow. Do you know that Tajikistan is 97% unreached with the gospel? That doesn't mean 3% have been reached. It means 3% have the potential to hear, but 97% have no potential to hear the gospel. So pray, right now the war has made things difficult because Russia has a lot of control in Central Asia, and uh, it's a little difficult right now. But pray for these two young men as they consider going there. The Lord blessed our time there, and we saw the Lord working there. Listen, the gospel works wherever it's preached, okay? Souls will respond to the gospel if it's preached. Next slide. Here you see the country of Laos, another country within the 1040 window, but this one in Southeast Asia, in between Thailand and Vietnam, just north of Cambodia there. And you say, well, what what do you have to do with Laos? You know what? When I went to Ukraine, I had no dream of Laos or Tajikistan or any ministry opportunities that God would provide there. But I had a Ukrainian national pastor who came to me. In fact, he happens to be a student right now, technically, at Maranatha. He's studying here. Uh, What program is that, Brother Mark? He's in the Master's of uh, Intercultural Studies. He's in the Master's of Intercultural Studies. Alex is his name. And uh, Alex came to me and said, Brother Derek, 
I, I've been trying to get some pastors' churches here in Ukraine to consider Laos. He said, uh, someone mentioned that I should come speak to you about it, but I have a burden for Laos. I want to help train national pastors in Laos. And so I, he said, I have a connection there, a contact there. Laos is considered a communist country, one of the top 20 most persecuted nations in the world for Christians. And so we began to make some trips there, and from that came the Lao Bible Institute. And now we travel there. I travel there four times a year for our institute. Next slide. And we have uh, just some men that travel from all over the country, anywhere from 50 to 70 men that will come, and we'll gather and we'll train for a week. Uh, A couple of sessions ago, I asked the men, I said, how many of you have spent time in prison for your faith? And about 40 to 50% of their hands went up in the air. And so it is amazing to see every time I get on the plane to leave Laos, I am the one who is convicted. I am the one that was taught that week about what it means to follow Christ no matter the cost. And so as God brings that to your mind, pray for Laos. Pray for the Institute. It's almost uh, every Sunday, Saturday or Monday, I receive texts and pictures coming from Laos of souls being saved and reached with the gospel. It is, again, also a nation tremendously in need of, of gospel preaching, but we praise God for that opportunity. Next, next picture here. All right, let's talk about the war that's taking place right now in Ukraine. This was right before the war, uh, and we began to see the troops coming in, uh, Russian troops amassing on the eastern side of Ukraine. Do you see Kharkov there on the east? That's the second largest city uh, in Ukraine, going all the way down through that eastern uh, side of Ukraine, down to the Black Sea. And down in the Black Sea, you see there Crimea, and you see it's striped. It says Russian Occupied. That took place in 2014 when Russia occupied Crimea. Also up just a little bit north and east there, that area called Donetsk, that is the Donbass region, also was occupied uh, by Russia during that time. So really the war between Ukraine and Russia has been going on since 2014. It just came to a whole other level of intensity uh, February 24th of this year. When it really became serious for us, we saw them amassing troops on the eastern side, but when Russia crossed over into the country of Belarus, and when they came into Belarus, they brought many troops, they brought uh, many uh, different types of military equipment from far eastern Russia, they trained them in, and they brought them just north of Kiev, right on uh, that border with Belarus and Kiev and, and, and Ukraine. And sure enough, when the invasion took place on the 24th, they came down from there as well and made it very, very difficult in that area. We, that area was occupied by Russia for about 35 days or so. And there was the other area there just a little bit east and north, the Sumy and uh, Cherniv region that were also occupied by Russia for a period. Those areas now are free But uh, most of the fighting is on the east and the southeastern side. But you could tell. I had a guy that from in our church that came to our English service, worked for the State Department, and he told me, Derek, it's imminent. We believe this is going to happen, and it did. All right, go ahead and go to the next one. With this, you see these pictures from Ukraine, and I'm just sharing with you. I've, I've seen just places. It's hard to imagine the damage that is there. We've we've been into the country four times since the war began. And you see areas like this. If you were to remove the color, you would think you were looking at pictures from World War II. And uh, very, very heartbreaking, the destruction that's taking place. Next slide. Uh, Here you see a picture of a maternity ward in the city of Mariupol. 
And uh, the, the Russians have hit maternity wards, they've hit schools, they've hit housing, just where civilians are, where children are. This dear lady here, uh, she, you can see her being carted off. I'm sad to report she died about a week, 10 days later, and the baby also died. Go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, here you see a picture recently taken of a father holding his dead son's hand, uh, had been killed by a bomb that had, had hit there in his region where he lived. Go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, here you see the region up in the northwestern part of Kiev region where we saw areas that had just, again, were just decimated. Next, next slide. Areas like this. Each of these housing complexes house anywhere between 500 to 1,000 people. They estimate that roughly 12 million people in Ukraine have been displaced from their homes. 12 million. How many live in the state here of Wisconsin? Do we know? 5 million? Something like that? 4 million? I don't know how many. But, I mean, you could take the state of Missouri as about 7 million. You got St. Louis and you got uh, uh, Kansas City there. Come up north to the unnamed state. It was unnamed earlier today, right? Iowa, the unnamed college there, right? You could probably add Iowa and Wisconsin, and you would probably come up almost, can you imagine those three states, everybody in those states, all the major cities in those states, you have no place to live, you have to go find a place to live. That's what's happening in Ukraine with 12 million people displaced from their homes. Go ahead and go to the next one, guys. Uh, here we were, I was in my office, uh, I think this was in June. It was a Sunday morning, about uh, 6, 6.30 in the morning, on a Sunday morning in Kiev. I heard the explosions, I heard the missiles hit uh, in the center of Kiev, and I looked out through my window, and you could see the smoke coming up where, uh, where just an apartment building had been hit. There, there's no place really in Ukraine that is safe. I mean, we've, we've crossed over a bridge on a Saturday afternoon, late afternoon. That evening, the bridge detonated. We've driven through areas where uh, uh, in the afternoon, that evening, it was hit by a missile. We were in the city of Kharkiv just recently. We came outside. It was completely dark. And this is a major city. Uh, we came outside completely dark. The sirens were blasting. We, uh, we left the city. And about 30 minutes later, it was hit. There's just no place that is safe. So can you imagine living uh, underneath that kind of uh, uh, just, uh, I don't want to say pressure, but just that, that fear of that taking place? I mean, I've heard sirens going off being from Kansas City warning you of, of uh, tornadoes coming. But it's a whole other thing when you're considering that missiles could be hitting at any moment of time. Uh, should we run to a shelter? What, what to do? And can you imagine if you don't know Christ? How, how that turmoil would be, not to have that rest or the peace of knowing, well, my God's overseeing me, and whatever he wants, let his will be done. If you don't know the Lord, it's just a very hard and difficult time. Next, next slide. This lady right here, we came into her area region, and we shared with her the gospel. There was a big group from her village. We were able to share the gospel. Afterwards, she wanted us to come and see her home and hear her story. Go ahead and go to the next slide right here. And here's her home. It had been completely flattened, and uh, just there's nothing there, no place to live there at all. Uh, she shared how she, when the fighting, the intensity started going and missiles were landing, she said that she literally saw her nephew hit with a missile. He, she said, he disintegrated right in front of me. She said, I looked back towards the house. I saw my grandson coming out towards me. He was missing part of his arm. Her grandson did live by God's grace. But just some of the things that people are, are going through there, things that you and I 
Never had to worry about that before or never seen it before. But that's what's happening in many areas of Ukraine. Next, next slide. Uh, here you see a man weeping. And uh, if you're between the ages of 18 and 60, uh, you cannot leave the country. The country's under martial law. You have to be there to serve in the military. Doesn't mean you'll be called to the military. Just means you need to be available to serve in the military. And by the way, let me share this. Most men in Ukraine willingly want to serve. It's amazing. They want to protect their country. They want to fight for their freedom. I remember reading before the war started of a woman, a grandmother by the name of Svetlana. She was about 74 years old. And she was outside with a rifle practicing. You know why she was practicing? Because if the Russians invaded, she was going to protect and fight for her grandbabies, right? I knew right then that Mr. Putin was going to have a harder time than he thought taking the country. I I read of another man, a, a grandfather, about 80 years old. He went to the Ukrainian army and said, I want to enlist. I want to fight for the freedom of my grandchildren. You see, these these people like that, they remember Soviet times. They remember communism. They remember the tyranny they had to live under. And I think what most there agree to is, I would rather die fighting for my freedom than live under the tyranny of Russia again. And so you see that and uh, the pictures there, the heartbreak of saying goodbye to wives and, and family. Most of those that have left the country, refugees that have left the country, are mostly women and children. Majority of the men are still in country to fight. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Here you see some of our pastors. So our Bible Institute allowed us a network of churches across the country. In the middle of the picture right here is our charitable fund director. We have a charitable fund that we founded in Ukraine called Living Hope for Ukraine. Our primary purpose of the charitable fund was to help promote adoption of orphaned children into Christian families in Ukraine. But when the war started, we had a whole new purpose for our charitable fund, and that was to help distribute aid throughout the country and through using primarily our pastors. So here you see some pastors with Sergei there that we met, and these churches, think of them as distribution points to where the aid is going. Next slide. Uh, Here you see some of our younger pastors and younger students. In fact, the man right there in the middle with the striped shirt on, he is a doctor, And he has started a clinic, a free clinic on the eastern side of Ukraine uh, for people to come to. The man right over his uh, right shoulder, Vitaly, is a student at SBI. He actually has a vehicle that SBM helped to purchase for him. He is driving aid. He is driving uh, uh, just uh, different types of drugs, of medicines that are needed that people can't buy or get. He will buy them and he will deliver them to older people or to those in need. But he has been a blessing. And the pastor there on the far right uh, is uh, Kolya, just a blessing. And I'll share more with you about him and how God is using him right now. Go ahead and go to the next one here. So here you see a map of Ukraine. Up in the upper left-hand corner of Ukraine, the star there, that is the city of Lutz. That's where our charitable fund is located. In the charitable fund there, we also have a camp. Sergei had a Christian camp. It was a summer camp, but we've converted it now, and it is a refugee center that people can live in uh, during the winter months. 
So during the winters, it gets very cold there. Wisconsin winter would have nothing on a Ukrainian winter. And, uh, and so that's prepared there. We have about 100 refugees that would call the camp home. But you see the different distribution points throughout the country. That doesn't mean that we've made one load in those areas. Some of those areas, we've had multiple loads. In fact, we've delivered somewhere around 1,000 tons of aid to these various parts of Ukraine and to refugee centers. Go ahead and go to the next slide here. There you can see in the camp where the refugees eat in Lutsk. And next one here, you see some of the children that are there uh, that are now called this home. Uh, Next slide right here. Here you see some of the drivers that drive. Many of these men have risked their lives taking aid to some of these various places and pastors uh, to deliver the aid. But I wanted to tell you about the guy over my right shoulder there. His name is Vlad. He owned a trucking company in Ukraine. He had two trucks, five-ton trucks. They hold about 11,000 pounds each that he allowed us to use free of charge. He didn't charge us anything. We would just maintain them and put gas in them. But Vlad himself was not a believer. And Vlad, uh, we were there that night, the previous picture there, we were there that night with Vlad and, uh, and the rest of the refugees. We had an evangelistic meeting, and that night at the end of the meeting, Vlad came down the aisle with tears rolling down his face. Here's this big trucker, right? Tears rolling down his face to receive Christ. This was the next morning, and Vlad told me the next morning, he said, something has changed in my heart. And we know what that change is. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if there had been no war, would Vlad had ever come to Christ? I think it was through the war that he was humbled. He saw eternity and his need of Christ. And I praise God for Vlad and how he's serving and going to a church now in the city of Kharkiv. He's moved back to Kharkiv with his family and is living there. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Uh, here you can see some of our meetings that we've gone. So when we... When we come over, when I come over, we'll go to some of these areas that were either previously occupied or where there had been uh, just they were very close to the war and we'll hold evangelistic meetings. Here on this day that, it was, that we were there, it was raining. You can see people gathered. We had probably somewhere around 50, 75, I don't know, 80 people. I'm not sure how many that gathered. But before we give aid, we'll tell them we have aid that we want to give out. But before we give aid, we have something we want to share with you. And we'll share with the Ukrainians that come their greatest need, which is what? Christ. Yeah, we want to help you with your physical need. And we have some gifts here we're going to give to you. But before that, we want to share with you about the love of God for you. And your greatest need before God is your soul. And to have your soul cleansed by the blood of Christ. God loves you. He died for you. And I'm telling you, people are listening right now to this message. Before, you know, Ukrainian Orthodox or Russian Orthodox, whichever they were, they both teach a works-based salvation. You know, before they would say, well, I'm Orthodox. But now they're saying, I want to hear what you have to say. My religion doesn't have the answers, right? I don't see any real hope there. We want to hear what you have to say and why you have such hope. How can we know these young men up here saying about the grace of God? They know nothing about the grace of God in the Orthodox Church. You have to merit God's favor by how you live your life. So people are listening. Here's what's fascinating to me. From this group right here, one of these people came to our, our pastor there, Kolya. I showed you a picture there a little bit ago. And, uh, and, and this is in the region where he has a church he already pastors. But they came to him and said, would you begin a Bible study in our village? They have no church in this village. Can you imagine church plant taking place during war? But that's what's happening in Ukraine. Next slide. 
Uh, here you can see a group. This was about uh, only eight, ten miles from the Russian border. Uh, many of these people had, had walked through fields to come to this village to live uh, because their village was very, being hit very hard, very close to the border of, of Russia. So they had come here. We probably had between 12 and 1,500 people that showed up. So we come, we have music, singing, violin, plays, and then we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we give out afterwards, we give out the aid, and we give out New Testaments. I'm telling you, people are listening. People are even praying, making decisions for Christ. After the meeting, the mayor of this village came and said, listen, we want to give you a building to start a church. And they've started another Bible study right here in this village. Another church plant taking place during a time of war. How can it be? <laughs> it's only God can do these things. It's just amazing to me how God, I would have never dreamt this or dreamed that it's even possible. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Uh, here you can see a village area up in the northwest Kiev region. Again, just another opportunity that we had. And, and something happened to me here that just melted my heart. And I think gives you a picture into the Ukrainian heart right now and what's happening in the country because of the war. But we preached and shared the gospel of Christ, had music, did, our, did the whole thing, gave out aid afterwards with New Testaments that we gave out. And we, we would remain afterwards and we'll talk to people and, and uh, you know, give hugs and just speak more and hear more of their stories and share more with them about Christ and the hope of Christ. And while we were there uh, sharing, a little girl rode up on her bicycle and she had a, a, a bottle of milk. And I've got a picture of this somewhere. She had this bottle of milk. And she said, you know, my mom wanted me to thank you for coming today. And we want you to have this milk. I tell you, it's one of the greatest love offerings I've ever received, that milk. Can you imagine? They lived under Russian occupation for that period of time. No telling what they had to go through through that period of time. No telling how, how poor they were because of that. But they wanted to say thank you for coming and telling us about Christ. Thank you for coming and bringing us the aid that you brought today. It deeply touched my heart, but gives you a picture. Uh, Rebecca just gave a report, Julie read it yesterday, of the church in Kiev, how people there, listen, they're under attack. Kiev, I think, uh, like, was it half the city that had no water? A great number that had no electricity. They're, the Russians are hitting the infrastructure of Ukraine, trying to take out, I think, 40% of the country is without electricity, making life very, very difficult. But she said on Sunday, our church, which there'll be some refugees in there and just people living there from Kiev, they took up gifts of grace, items, things that they can send to those in greater need on the eastern side of the country. Oh, praise God. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Uh, here you can see some of the men uh, and people that we pass out New Testaments to. I don't know that I've ever been rejected a New Testament as we're passing them out. Uh, you can see the colors of the Ukrainian flag are on the, are on the New Testament. And uh, we praise God for that. Next one here. Uh, here you can see a young lady or a lady by the name of Oksana. And, and I would ask you to pray for Oksana. I want to share with you just what she said because, again, it, it gives us a picture into her heart and into Ukrainian's heart. She said this, before the war... I was an atheist, but now I find myself praying to God. Now, where she is, they were under Russian occupation for about 35 days. And let me tell you, that would be no fun, especially if you're a woman, okay? She was under that. She says, now I find myself praying to God. Thank you for coming today. Please come back and tell us more. And you can see her here taking the New Testament. Pray for her salvation. Next slide. 
Here you can see a lady standing back there next to Julie by the name of uh, Luda. And, and she, uh, we had come to her village area and she had pointed out to me the Orthodox Church where she attended. What she was trying to tell me was, we're a Christian village. Look, there's our, our church, our Orthodox Church. Well, she heard me that day. We invited her to an evangelistic meeting in a neighboring village at a Baptist church. She came that night and and heard the preaching. And afterwards, I spoke to her. And I could tell she was under conviction. But she told me that night, she said, I'm not ready to make a decision yet. I said, okay, well, you have a New Testament. Here, go read in the Gospel of John. We'll be praying for you. We came back another time to her street, preached again on her street the Gospel, and gave out aid. And then invited her again to come to another meeting at that neighboring evangelistic meeting at the neighboring church. She came that night. And that night at the end of the service, she came forward to receive Christ. Now listen, there was no war. She probably never comes to Christ. And listen, the war is a horrific, terrible thing what people have gone through. But I tell you, that's what needed to bring souls to Christ and let it be so. And I think of my own country here in America. And I think of the pride and the arrogance we have in our country in America. The rejection of God and of his word that we see in America. And you know what my prayer is, God? If that's what's needed to bring revival to America, then let it be so. Humble and bring the destructions that's required so souls will bow before your glory and receive you. But souls like this and others pictured there that are coming to Christ because of a very difficult time. You know, we have a guy on our staff. He pastors a church in Kiev. His name is Pavlo Parfenuk. He is a blessing to me, a friend. And early before the war started, he sent out a note to our students of Slavic Baptist Institute. And he said, listen, is this a war or a rumor of war? He said, I don't know if the war is going to happen or if this is just a rumor of war. But he said, our Lord told us in the last days it would be this way that there will be wars and rumors of war. So let us just be faithful to do what he has called us to do. Let us take the gospel of Christ, whether there's a war or not a war. Let's just keep preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what a blessing it has been to see him honor that and many other pastors honoring that in Ukraine as the aid goes out and they preach the gospel and the hope of Christ. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Uh, Here we see some uh, of our loads that are going out about a Five uh, metric ton load, about 11,000 pounds. It costs about $7,000. And we're sending these out, uh, multiple loads, going out to different pastors and areas where they take it. And they're going right to the very edges of the war. Next slide here. You can see one of Lod's trucks right there that we're using. Go ahead and go to the next one here. And uh, here you can see some groups in Kharkiv. A few weeks ago, they had 800 people line up for two hours waiting in line for one loaf of bread. But guess what? Those 800 people that day heard about the bread of life, right? They heard about the bread of life. New Testaments were offered for those that wanted them. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Uh, Here's the city of Izum. In fact, uh, we were just there in Izum just a few weeks ago. This was from my time there when we were there. People had no gas. They had no electric. They had no water. There's not one doctor left in the town. They were under occupation of Russia and just recently been freed for about six months. I'm telling you, they gathered, they listened to the gospel. We gave out, the local Baptist church there in Izum had been destroyed by a bomb. The pastor is no longer there. Just very difficult times, but pray for areas like this. And again, what an opportunity to share the gospel. Next slide. Uh, Here you see a Russian or a Ukrainian soldier 
Uh, and we visited, we visited hundreds of wounded soldiers in hospitals. You can see the New Testament there is camouflaged. And uh, just the opportunity again to share Christ with them, the hope of Christ, the love of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ. It's just a blessing to meet them. Go ahead and go to the next one here, guys. And uh, so pray for Ukraine. Pray for peace in Ukraine, number one. Pray for uh, just Christians to have a special sense of the presence of Christ. Listen, Christians in Ukraine, there's a revival in the churches. I, I was in a church down by the border of Moldova, and it was in Ukraine, but this church was keeping a number of refugees, and many churches are keeping refugees. They live in their church buildings. I know of one church, they have somewhere around 30, 35 refugees that live full-time in their church. But we were down at this church in Moldova, and that evening we had a meeting, a, a, a gospel Bible meeting, Bible uh, preaching, and uh, at 6 p.m. that night, sirens started going off. And I thought to myself, oh man, I mean, you know, do, where, where's the dugout? Where do I go hide, right? Where's the bomb shelter? And as what you're thinking, what are they going to do? You know what? They met that night. And I'm sitting there in the church that night. I was up on the platform and I looked up into the choir. And man, these people in the choir were just singing with passion. And then after the preaching that night, they had corporate prayer. And as they were praying that night, uh, their prayers, I mean, I heard people praying from the choir loft. I heard them answering, yes, Lord, let it be so. Amen. You heard them praying. They were praying with fervency. And I remember thinking, well, you know why they're singing with such passion and praying with such fervency? Because while I was sitting there, I was thinking, you know, at any moment of time, a bomb could hit us, missile hit us, and boom, we're going to be in glory. You know what? If I thought at any moment of time I would be in glory face to face with my Lord, I would sing with more passion. I would be praying with more fervency, right? Man, I can't think of a better definition of revival than that. You know what? I don't hear from believers their worry or why, God, are you allowing this to be? There's a sweetness of spirit that God's in charge. One young lady from our ministry, I wrote her early on because I knew she was in a city and they had had some missiles that had hit there. And, uh, and I asked her, how are you? What's going on? How are your services yesterday? She says, all we do is we pray, we praise, and we wait for the second coming of our Lord. You know what? That's how we're all supposed to be living our lives, right? Just waiting for him to come, looking for his second coming, praising his name for who he is and what he has done. I asked her, I wrote her, I said, well, listen, or I was speaking to her, I said, listen, do you ever have a time when you're in the service and the, and the sirens start going off? She said, yes. I said, so what do you do? What's the pastor do? How would you lead the service if sirens start going off? She says, well, he'll stop the service for a moment. We'll pray, we commit it to God, and then we continue on with our service. You say, well, that's crazy. I don't know. Is it crazy or is it faith? Is it committing yourself to the Lord? I'm just not going to live in fear. I'm going to praise my God. I see this in Ukraine right now amongst believers. I see amongst the lost an awakening that's happening because of the war. So I ask that you would pray for them Christians to have a special sense of the presence of God and to pray for a special power of God to bring souls to Jesus Christ. Listen, I want to close with something. We also have a ministry called uh, Compassion, a fund called Compassion for Ukraine. And you could pray for God's provision for us, that God would uh, just continue giving. Listen, we had a little church in the unnamed state, just south of us here in Iowa. It was just on a Tuesday night. They had a special service just for us. And they don't even have a pastor right now, just a handful of people. 
And we just went there. I wanted to be a blessing to them, you know, because I knew they didn't have a pastor and wanted to share with them. They were interested to know more about Ukraine, and we shared. And then the next night we were in, a, in another church. I got an email from the church said, Brother Thomas, we want you to know we want to buy a truckload of aid, and we're going to give $7,000 towards that. I've just been humbled how God has worked through. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who will provide. And we trust him. And we would ask you to pray for that. Just close with this verse, all right? Go with me over to the book of Colossians in the first chapter. Colossians 1. And we'll, we'll, be, we'll be finished here. Colossians 1, verse number 5, all right? Colossians 1, verse 5. Paul writes, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before, in the word of the truth of the gospel. So do you see... He's speaking here about a hope. The hope he's speaking of here is not a possible hope or a maybe so hope, but it is a certain hope, a sure hope. What is this sure or certain hope? It's the hope of eternity. It's the hope of eternal life. It's a hope of a better place that he, the Lord, has gone to prepare for all those who have called upon his name. Well, where did they hear of this hope? Through what? The word of the truth of the gospel, right? Do you see that the gospel brings hope? And people today are searching for hope. They want to know why you have hope and how can you count that you have this certain hope and you can share because we have a certain Savior, Lord, who defeated sin from the cross and defeated death from the empty tomb. He's not in the ground dead. There's not a memorial, a place where his body is buried. He rose again. He is a living Savior. We have a living hope. But my friends, I share with you today, somewhere around 70% of the world has never heard of this living hope. 70%. Somewhere of that 70, about 40% are unreached with the gospel. 30% of the 70 are those that have just never heard a clear gospel presentation. I pastored right down here in Kansas City. I'm telling you, I have a friend from Topeka, Kansas. He said, Derek, I was 36 years old before I heard the gospel for the first time. There are many that have never heard that message, and there are some, like in Laos and Tajikistan and other places of the world, they've never heard the gospel. Now listen, Coca-Cola has been around for about 150 years. How many of you like Coca-Cola All right, we don't want to get into a debate or start a division within the school today. How many are Pepsi people? All right, the the illustration is not important if you're Pepsi or or whatever you are. But here's the thought. Coca-Cola's been around for about 140, 145 years. Do you know it's estimated today that in the world, somewhere around 97% of the world recognize the Coca-Cola logo? 97%. 97%. I, I've been in Laos. I think every village I've been in in Laos, every place I was in in Tajikistan or Ukraine or other places in the world, I could always find Coca-Cola. No matter how small the little kiosk or store, you can almost always find Coca-Cola. Here's my question. How did Coke get their logo and their product to 97% of the world, but the church has had the gospel of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years, and we've only reached 30% of the world? Now listen, if we are going to do what he has commanded us to do, which is to take the gospel to every nation and to every creature, friends, it comes only with commitment to that. 
to a surrender to see that accomplished. I've heard it said this way and I believe it. And I want you young people to truly consider this today. This generation of of, uh, saved people, this generation of saved souls is responsible for this generation of lost souls. I want to challenge your generation. Don't be content with the status quo. Don't be content, well, we're just going to reach, if we can get maybe that number up to 35%. Listen, he has commanded us to go into all the world with this message. And I don't think he commands us to do something that he doesn't empower us or expect us to do. All of us should have a part in this. Let us give ourselves to reach this generation of lost souls with the message of hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To get it spread in all the world. That's what he has called us to do. And we ask for your prayers for Ukraine and for God's work there for his glory. Pray for the pastors, the workers there that are there serving very faithfully, going through a very difficult time. Pray for souls to be enlightened, eyes to be unveiled to the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope that is found only in him. Amen. I thank you for your time. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for these that are here today, and we thank you for the privilege that it is to serve you and to know you. And I pray, Lord, that I know in my heart and life it took a long time, though I was saved, for me to surrender to the truth of the real purpose of my life, to say, take the gospel of Christ and preach it wherever you've called me to be. And you've called me to be in many various and different places, Julie and I, and I praise you for that. But maybe there's some here today that would want to make a commitment to reaching this generation of lost souls with the wonderful, blessed gospel that only can bring hope. Lord, that we would spread your hope and your glory throughout the world, no matter where it is you would have us to go. If it's you're calling us to stay through a local church to help spread that gospel to the world, but Lord, that we be committed to it. And Lord, we pray today for Ukraine and for peace in Ukraine, for your people in Ukraine, to to glorify you through the gospel as it goes out and forth. Lord, bless us, we pray. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.